Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary. Woohoo! Monday, March 26, 2012, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I am Matthew Zachary, a 16-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhardt, 16-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. It's not okay. Not okay. That's 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, so, got cancer, under 40, sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because this stupid cancer show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show is our pre-OMG 2012 spectacular kicking it off special guest star in the Survivor Spotlight, Will Riser. You know him, you love him, young adult survivor of spinal cancer and the screenwriter of the acclaimed film 5050. He'll be joining us in about 10 minutes or so. And in the back half of the show, we have a spectacular trio of Allie Ward, young adult survivor of ovarian cancer, and she's the chair of our OMG Cancer Summit steering committee. Sharon France, our favorite pissed off nurse, founder of the National <laughs> <laughs> founder of the National Coalition of Oncology Nurse Navigators. And Tamika Felder, come on everybody, great part of the community, you know, young adult survivor of cervical cancer, and she's the founder and CEO of Tamika and Friends. I'm going to officially call Sharon our favorite pissed-off nurse. Not sure she would like that. That's epic. I think awesome. she loves it. Come on. All right, folks. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer. That's also right. known as the I'm Too Young for the Cancer Foundation online 24-7, 365 at stupidcancer.org. We are not your father's cancer society, but we are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs. So, welcome aboard another fun, exciting romp through the hay. On tonight's stupid cancer show, where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters. That's right, Matthew. And a stupid cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes, where you can download us live for free as we broadcast live like we do every Monday night, 8 p.m. ET, from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. As a final reminder, folks, the Stupid Cancer Show has a live interactive chat room. During each and every broadcast Monday nights, we invite you to join in the fun 
connect with our friends and ask questions of our guests. And with that, our now self-ingratiating applause. Yes. Cheering us. Here we go. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Matthew. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm giddy crazy. You've got your Get Busy Living t-shirt on. I am. That you do. Every day. Damn it. I never wash it. Yeah, and yet I'm still married. I didn't want to. I didn't want to say we're picking up a little bit of a scent yeah, over here. That's okay. How yeah. the hell does she live with you, man? Well, you know, you're not fully clean unless you're zestfully clean. That's right. Boy, you're getting a throwback in that one. Oh, the smallest soap in the house, or a safeguard? Yes. <laughs> I'm gonna keep going back. <laughs> Irish <imagine>? Spring? <laughs> Irish. Well, yes, but I like it too. Sorry. Oh, Anywho, right. yeah. Dr. Reverend James Manning, hello, sir. How are you, Matt? Hey, James. Kenny Kane is on the road again. He is. On the Super Cancer Road. We will get back to that in a moment. He is, uh, will be calling in from the road. Excellent. In about 45 minutes. In the studio, the fabulous return of Amanda Freeman. Amanda Freeman, our broadcast hello, production. Hello, Amanda Freeman. Our broadcast production, our original broadcast production assistant. Yes, the pre-James right. James. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Darling, you look marvelous. Thank you. What a surprise. Did not know you were turning up tonight. Came through the doors and there's I your shiny I kept my mouth shut smiling. for the first time ever. I can't believe that. I know. Floored. <laughs> and although, now? Although I do have, last week, you, I told you she was coming last week, but I wasn't supposed to. Oh. But she didn't come last week. Yeah. I didn't tell you she was coming this week because I forgot. So right. in theory, I accidentally did the right thing. So your completely screwed up brain yes. saved everything. God bless the whole of my cerebellum. Excellent. The men in the white coats are coming soon. Yeah. We're going to take care of them. Oh, I've been know. running from them for years. I was going to say, we're long past that. We're long past those men. So Amanda is here, and you're great, and you're all past your treatments. For those two, I am. couple I, of you that are have... Uh, I just had scans last Monday, and I'm all clear. So Amanda, is a, lean right in. Pull that mic right up to you, Amanda. Yeah. There you I'm go. I'm one year out of chemo, and I have uh, three more months, and then I'm out of my clinical trial. Let's quickly recap. Osteosarcoma in your jaw. Yeah. And you had a trans- You had bone taken from your leg to rebuild your jaw. Yeah. And you've had a million and a half rounds of chemo. Uh, just or about. Yeah. It's been over 100 days in the hospital. A million and a half rounds of chemo. Yeah, she holds the chemo record. What oncologist might get away with prescribing that? I'm curious. Hers did. Yeah. <laughs> he said, Amanda, we're going to give you everything and the kitchen sink, so don't worry. Man, yeah. that's the guy I want to get treated by. Yeah. <laughs> so you are back in action. Here back you are. Back in action, getting into trouble. Uh-oh. Well, that's the right kind of action, then. Yeah. <laughs> and again, uh, returning champion as a guest in the studio, Mr. Alex Kipp. Hello, sir. Hello, hello. Hi, Alex. Now, you are a transplant who just got transplanted from to New York, correct? That is correct. <laughs> I just made that up. Nicely done, Matthew. I, that actually ever, is correct, though. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut in the woods. <laughs> Why don't you flesh that out for us, so to, so to, so to speak, Alex? Please don't. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Alex, go ahead. Well, I was uh, diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma about a year and a half ago. Congratulations. Thank you. And I had, yes, a stem cell transplant after... A lot of chemo, a lot of failed rounds and whatnot, and now I'm a survivor here and a transplant to New York. Right, because you're from Ohio. Correct. That's a very interesting cultural shift, right? It is. It's a lot faster here. Yeah. Yeah. A lot faster. He's a, he's a tall, strapping young man who's an actor. You are a good-looking man, I have to tell you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> you, even your Facebook page is like, look at me, I'm beautiful. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. <laughs> He's you turning are, a couple shades of red. That's okay. This that's is our, fun. 
For the radio, who cares, right? I like it. <laughs> Lisa's going. I like it. Lisa's enjoying it. Yeah. So, hey, so where in Ohio? Uh, Columbus. Okay. Very yeah. nice. Very nice. Did you ever meet Aaron Spicer? I did. Yes. He, I was here last time. He told me the wrong time to come. I was here late. You yelled at me because I came in like five minutes like before the show. Uh, I, Everything I, was rushed. I can't ever see myself doing that. Yeah, no, it was uh, <laughs> it was a little uh, insane. But yes, I do know Aaron. As long well, as we can blame Aaron, exactly. That's fine. Like blame Canada. And that's what you did. Blame Columbus. We'll be Fantastic. nicer to you this time, maybe. Exactly. Maybe. Right, exactly. Love it. Maybe. Well, um, we got a few minutes left before we got to get to our, get to Will. Um, couple of quick things here. Obviously, we're going to talk about the summit for the entire back half of the show. Oh yeah. This. Weekend, um, my throat. Uh, this weekend. Here we go. Baby uh, needs a new pair of breasts. Oh, uh, and <laughs> sorry, I can't, I can't go show it. Hashtag Vegas. That. What? Yeah. Hashtag Vegas. Um, the biggest news is that today uh, we launched the public voting stage of the Get Busy Living Award, this sponsored awesome. by Volkswagen. If you go to getbusylivingaward.org, that's getbusylivingaward.org, it'll take you to a nomination page that features nine. Survivor stories. They, they've been de-identified. You don't know who they are. It's just their stories. And you read their stories, and based on the criteria on the page, you can determine who will be the top three winners. Second runner-up gets, we'll announce it at the summit. First runner-up gets, we'll announce it at the summit. But the winner mm-hmm. receives a free two-year lease of a brand-new 2012 Volkswagen Passat TDI Turbo Diesel. Isn't it amazing that we bamboozled Volkswagen into giving us a car for two years? <laughs> I know. I mean us. Yes. I mean, we got a car from Volkswagen for two years to give away a Survivor. All you have to do is pay for the gas. How did we do that? I, I think maybe they thought we were like a... Uh, Somebody else? Stand-up to cancer? Yeah. Did they think this is stand-up to cancer? <laughs> they might. They might have thought we were a legitimate organization. Yeah. Yes. My, no, it's, it's fantastic. Matt, you can sell ice to Eskimos, so that's got to be it. I bamboozled them good. You did. Thank you, Schwen. Nice for your job. Listening. <laughs> All right. So anyway, so that is um, that's basically uh, the Get Busy Living Award is being given to a young adult survivor who embodies the mission and the vision of the young adult cancer movement, and who has chosen to get busy living through all the crap they've gone through. <laughs> so go to Stupid Cancer. I'm sorry. Go to GetBusyLivingAward.org today. Voting ends on Thursday night. We have three more days to get public voting. I think over 90 people have voted for at least one of them. Oh. So we're getting a lot of traffic. So check them Great. out and help us decide who wins the Volkswagen Passat at the OMG Summit. And uh, now it is time for our incredibly special guest. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Writer-producer Will Reiser grew up in Tarrytown, New York, where he went to my high school alma mater, the Hackley School, later studying writing at West Hampshire College in Amherst, Massachusetts. His first job in TV came in 2003 as a producer on Steve Harvey's Big Time, followed by a gig on the HBO series The Ali G Show. He went on to write and produce for VH1's Best Week Ever and the Robert Wall HBO documentary series Assume the Position and its follow-up, Assume the Position 201. He is, however, most noted for writing the screenplay for last year's film 50-50 based on his experience as a young adult cancer survivor and starring Seth Rogen and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Genesis for the project came in 2005 when Riser was diagnosed with a serious form of cancer with an equally serious and highly unpronounceable name. In short, he had a rather large tumor on his spine. The film was nominated for a Golden Globe Award, and Riser received both an Independent Spirit Award and a National Board of Review Award for his screenwriting effort. We're thrilled he's here with us tonight, and he'll be with us next weekend in Vegas. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Will Riser. Hello. Hey, Will. Paging Dr. Riser. Hey. Dr. Riser. How are you? 
Good, good. How are you guys doing? We're great. We are so stoked to have you on the show tonight. And oh, so thanks, stoked to thanks come. for having me. Dude, Vegas. Come on. Really? <laughs> Very excited. Dude. Uh, I, I, I have to tell you, Vegas is probably my least favorite place in the world. But I'm going for you guys. I'm going because it's, a, I it's think important. There's event. nothing more noble than taking it for the team, I have to tell you. <laughs> I'm taking it for the team. Okay. Well, our challenge then is to make it your most favorite place in the world because you'll be there with us. No. All right, all right. We'll see, see what you guys can do. We're, we're going to take that. We're going to stick you, can, you in at least in a turn, cage if match. You can turn me, if you can turn me, <laughs> right? Take me You're going to stick match. me with him in a cage match? Yes. Wow, that's exciting. Um, I don't know what that means. I don't know what. I don't even. I'm not even <laughs> sure what to expect there. But uh, I'll uh, just well, tell I, me what, what I, I what I need if I need like knee pads or elbow pads or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm drunk right now, so I just get to over where we're even just our baseline right now. So. All right, so we should probably start out. Well, let's go back with your highly unpronounceable uh, tumor, <laughs> tumor that you had in your spine. Let's start with your diagnosis. Um, and, I mean, in the film it's portrayed, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, kind of as you, running, feels a pain in his back. Um, is that sort yeah, of your similar no, symptoms? No, the symptoms, uh, those, those were the symptoms we, I mean, I, I did have weird back issues, but it was more like if I was laying down, sometimes I would feel... It would always feel like I there was like a there was uh, there was some there was weird pressure uh, along my spine like I could feel something didn't feel right but it was almost like there was like a uh, like a bump or something it didn't really feel there was no there was no pain really associated with it um, okay or not not to the level that Joe's character has there was discomfort but it wasn't you know um, it, I wasn't I wasn't you know taking painkillers or anything for it the my my symptoms were I was having um, I was losing weight. I was hungry all the time. I was having uh, night sweats where I, you know, I would just wake up just drenched, and I would just have to change, you know, change the sheets, change my clothes. I mean, like I would wake up in a swimming pool, and um, I just looked—I just didn't look good. I looked like a just a mess of a person. I mean, I just really looked. Um, What's my excuse? I, <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, uh, so yeah, so th those were, those were really the, the initial symptoms. It was just, I was just hungry all the time. I was tired all the time. And those night sweats. So did um, you go through a series of, did you then just go to like a regular internist or GP and did you go through a series of before it finally got diagnosed of appointment? Yeah, well, I, um, you know, I was, well, I was, at the time I was, I was 25 and I didn't even have a doctor. I was living, I was in LA and I had been in LA for two years and, um, I had never, hadn't really been to the doctor. So I um, went based on the recommendation of someone I was working with to um, uh, to go see an internist, and he was actually out sick that day. And so he, um, his, his partner there, um, who shared the office with him, was seeing patients, and that doctor turned out to be an oncologist. Huh. And he sort of caught on really quickly that there might be something. You know, he was actually... From from the beginning, that doctor was really in that it was. I mean, he didn't he didn't say this right away, but he was concerned it might be lymphoma. So he had me do. I was, I went in there thinking I had di like diabetes or something. I you know I went on WebMD and looked up all my symptoms, and that was what I kind of diagnosed myself with. So you actually did go on WebMD. Doctors always love that when you diagnose yourself. <laughs> right. when you go into it. Well, WebMD um, is the greatest facility for that. It's the greatest. Yes, it's 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 
for it's a hypochondriac liquor. For, for hypochondriacs, it's, yeah, it's, it's the greatest thing in the world. So you were ready for, like, um, a lifetime of insulin. You thought, like, that. <laughs> that's where your life was headed. <laughs> but uh, he, so he ran some tests, and, um, you know, I went in for an MRI and a CAT scan, and um, I came back positive for, for cancer. And um, But he I didn't have lymphoma, but he was really convinced that I did, and so I kept having to do all these tests, and... It wasn't coming. I wasn't coming back positive for lymphoma, and I reached this point where I couldn't. Um, I was just. I just kind of got frustrated with him, uh, and I decided I, I would get a second opinion. So I went and saw a um, sort of the, the leading the oncologist who, who who sort of leads the, the department at Cedar Sinai in, here in LA and um, in, with lymphoma. You know, sort of the, the yeah. leading experts in lymphoma. At Cedars, and and he um, he he took a look through his secretary. So I I called the hospital and had him paged, and that was how I got an appointment with him. Nice, um, because I heard he was really great. Yeah, Yeah. I just took control. And uh, well, you know, I was back then. I was producing a lot. I figured I was going to produce my way. (laughs) You you were on? Were you you were on the Allergy Show at the time? Is that where you were working? uh, It was just after. This was just after. Just after. Okay. um, Yeah. So I wasn't afraid tr- of I wasn't afraid of of, of, of the Cedar Sinai receptionist. I was just <laughs> uh, but that, that that in and of itself speaks volumes because a lot of people just don't have that that inherent sort of self advocacy for anything for that matter. But let alone you know screw you, you're an idiot. I'm getting a better second opinion. That I that that that's I think that's really cool. Yeah, people don't oh, do thanks. that. Well, it's weird. You know, most uh, most doctors. Well, I would. You know, it's, it's sort of ninety five percent of the doctors I've, I've ever met don't. You know, the last thing they want to hear is you disagree with them or. Right. Um, you know, they they. I mean, that's their job is to tell you you know, something's wrong, and when you disagree with them, they. I'm, you know, they 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 take it they take it a little personally. I, right. I, you stood there <laughs> and you said, "No, I have diabetes. Damn it." Yes, exactly. And, and we, um. But uh, so I, I saw this other oncologist, and, and he, after doing some tests, said that I didn't have a lymphoma. And actually, he downgraded it to a cyst. He thought I just oh, wow. had a cyst. That's a hell of a so downgrade. There was a, there was a there was a period of relief. But I should yeah. actually say when when I was initially diagnosed, diagnosed with lymphoma, I was diagnosed with um, low grade lymphoma, which is uh, chronic and incurable. And, and so that was that was a real shock to my system and then i found out i i didn't have that and it was just a cyst and then i thought everything was great wow. he sent me to to a, a surgeon who then figured out uh a neurosurgeon who figured out exactly what it was and in fact was um this massive tumor they just couldn't find it because it was growing you know it was growing inside the vertebrae and inside the uh along the the nerve sheath and any every time they tried to go in for a biopsy they were hitting my nerve Oh. So I would be in so much pain um, that uh, that they couldn't go through with it. So um, so that was, it, was when. What's that? Okay, so I was just gonna say. So what was it that finally? What image? Because you know, so many the, the images photograph different things, and it's hard to tell. Was it was it an MRI? Was it a CAT scan? It was more of an HR Geiger painting, I believe. <laughs> what actually could see this thing in your spine? Uh, or you, or maybe you don't remember. I couldn't tell you. Okay. I have no idea. So the doctors, they, yeah. I think it was, you know, it was, it was an MRI, I'm sure. I, I just think that at first they they didn't quite know where to look. I, yeah. At first they weren't looking at my spine. 
um, they were looking at other places. You know, they were looking at my lymph nodes. They were looking right, right. elsewhere. And then finally, once they figured out this, um, the tumor in my spine, that was when, um, so that can was you... when things started moving forward. And, 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 and we were talking about, you know, the surgery and, and, and you know, right. finding, so is... finding a way to get it out. Right. So what, can you pronounce it for us? What is it actually called? And can you tell us a bit about what exactly it, 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 it was? Uh, yeah, well, you know, the, the, when I, with Joe's character in the... Yep, did we lose him? The neurofibroma uh, uh, sarcoma, and I, I had, I had uh, something, incre- like, very similar. His, his is a little bit more severe than mine, um, but uh, it is a, um, it's a tumor that um, grows along the nerve sheath uh, in your uh, in your spine, and it's um, really the only way. Actually, that's I, I, I in my case it, it grew along the nerve sheath. It can grow. You can grow. Um, it grows along the nerve. So it can grow in your brain. It can grow in your spine. It can grow. Uh, people get these tumors sometimes in their legs or their arms. Right. Um, and the only way, really, the most effective way is you have to remove the entire tumor. So you have to remove whatever it's touching. So it often leads to people, you know, receiving amputations or, um, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's not, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a comfortable surgery. Not that most surgeries are, but it, it, it can, it can. I mean, I, I met when we were shooting. I met um, actually, I'm sorry, I, I didn't meet uh, John. Uh, Jonathan Levine, our director, met a girl, and actually, just before Levitt too, met a girl up in Canada who had something similar. She had, was an amputee. She had had the same kind of cancer and. She lost. Uh, she lost her leg because so it was lucky that they were able to. It sounds like it was in such a precarious kind of spot that they were able to get in there, get it out of your spine without damaging, you know, uh, causing paralysis or anything. Anything yeah, else? Yeah, I'm yeah. really lucky. I mean, I consider myself to be really lucky. Yeah. Um, there was some concern that I was going to lose um, the function of my right leg or that or paralysis. Those were the two biggest fears. Um, and, uh, you know, I was really lucky that um, uh, neither of those occurred. And so, so, Will, let me just jump ahead for a second because yeah. I, I recently saw you and Seth at the New York Times Center. Sorry I missed actually seeing you personally, but I thought you did a really amazing job. The, the, and I've seen you um, do this sort of the, the 50, 50 Dog and Pony show a couple of times, and every time it's it's really fresh and, and wonderful, and the crowd is, is, is kind of mesmerized. Most people don't even... Understand that like people our age can get cancer, and that this is a real film based on a real person that's not 80 years old or six. The part that I found most interesting was that you know how much, I mean Seth being Seth, but he was your friend and he stayed your friend, and yeah. that the the sort of the, if I can make up a word the surreality is that a word? Close of, enough. Of the situation. Was the like, reality. I just made that up. I, 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 I like it. I like it. I'm drunk now. I'm I'm, I'm totally drunk now. But the 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 idea that like this was so ridiculous, you had to make it, you had to write it down. Like like before the days of blogging, you wanted like we have to make this a yeah. film. Those are the words that come out of your mouth. Like this has to be. This is so ridiculous. We have to make a film. I think that for you know, I think that for both Seth and I, um, I mean, we we always think in terms of uh, how can we turn something that we're living through into. Um, you know, uh, some kind of creative endeavor, a movie or a, t- or a TV show. And 
Um, it's really, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for Seth, but for me, really, that's a way that I write about, I write about, I like to write about things that have happened in my life as a way of processing, and that's, I find inspiration in my, you know, the people around me and um, the things that happen in day-to-day life, and and here, you know, was this situation with, that was just, um, I mean, there was just this well of absurdity, and there was so much dark humor. I mean, there was just so... I mean, the only the only way we could deal with it was by making fun of everything that was happening and making jokes and making right. light of it. And uh, I certainly didn't, you know, talk about my feelings when I was 25. Yeah. You're 25 yeah. and you're two guys, so you probably weren't We're used to... Guys, yeah. 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 And so we we started thinking about you know how we i mean really we were at we were at a party one night and um we just were made, we were just laughing at how weird everyone was acting towards me and how no one no yeah. one knew how to react normally and just kind of treat me i mean and i i mean it's understandable i can i you know it's just it's a very awkward thing because people are afraid of saying the wrong thing and so they overcompensate yeah. and they get nervous and and Beth and i were just making fun of that and um and someone asked me what my uh, if I had a bucket list, and I think it was around the time that the <laughs> nice. bucket list was coming out. And That's nice. a quality um, question. Yeah. And yeah, and they were like, "Are you going to go to you know? Are you going to go to India?" And Seth's reaction was like, "What? Where are you going to go to? Why would you go to India? It's like the, it's, you know, the, he's like India is covered in like species. Do you know how weak an immune system is?" <laughs> and and then so we saw we just lost India thought, as a sponsor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, ex- Thanks a lot, Will. Uh, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, and then we thought we should do a parody of, of the bucket list, and we'll call it the bucket list. And, nice. Um, um, uh, that, um, and then that was sort of a joke at the time, but we that night we really came up with this idea for the two characters of Adam and Kyle. Um, right. And, you know, the friend who has, you know, the, the, the friend has cancer and the best friend who tries to exploit his friend's cancer by doing, you know, by trying to create his own bucket list. Now, uh, I, by sort of pawning his bucket list off on his friend who has cancer. Right. And right. Uh, and I knew from that from that night, I mean, that character would be Seth. And this was before Seth had, you know, this was this was six months before uh, Four Year Old Virgin came out. So Seth was not, you know, was not famous at the time. So uh, neither of us knew that this would actually be a movie we could make. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, so, so I read, Will, that the first draft, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I read that the first draft of the film was called How I Learned Nothing from Cancer. <laughs> correct. Expl- <is> explain. Correct. <laughs> I didn't think that I was a different person after I got better. I, I sort of, I felt like, there, you know, I would have conversations with people who would just ask me, like, don't you have this new, you know, uh, New formed sense of 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 life and 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 you know don't don't you it, it was almost like it was just like I people thought that you know I had had this this great epiphany where I understood the meaning of life and that I was I had changed and that I was no longer going to take things for granted and and I and I was really you know when I when I first you know recovered and and was getting better I I think I really had um I still had a lot of anger and resentment and. I I I didn't really feel different. I I um I felt like I was the exact same person, but as time went on, it became more and more clear that I was actually a different person and and 
people started pointing it out that I actually had changed. And it's true. I I used to be really neurotic. I mean, I'm still neurotic. <laughs> I used to be really, I used to be, I mean, I just used to be like a nervous wreck all the time. I just worried about everything. And, yeah. and that really stopped. I really stopped worrying all the time. And that, I didn't, I didn't realize it. So that in that first draft, it was a, the first draft was about a guy who has cancer, and, and it's almost like everyone around him changes, but he's the exact same. Right. Um, and but in, in fact, I, I had changed. So and it took Seth and Evan, uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, who produced the movie with me, to really point that out to me. Yeah. Also, this is a funny line too. I was also reading that you said, you know, you you that you like, as you said before, you like to write about what you know, and some of your kind of heroes like Neil Simon kind of wrote from the same place as a comedic writer and what you knew at the time was what it's like to be single horny and terrified of women <laughs> which is very truthful for for any 25 year old guy that was like my entire that was me to like I got married until <laughs> <laughs> about six weeks ago right yeah wait what's that you no that you was got married that, six weeks ago no no, no. Look, I've been married for six years um, oh but it but I'm that joking was, that he just finally shook no, that No, I'm feeling. a Nebuchadnezzar Jewish crazy guy from from Brooklyn, so like we we have a lot of genetics in common. <laughs> yes, yes. I uh, my family are, are are Brooklyn Jews, so um, yes, I, I can I, we we can we can relate for yes. sure. Um, I uh, no, I mean that was exactly that was exactly right. I was I prior to having cancer, I really didn't have anything uh, interesting to write about, anything original, and then this was this was really the this is the first. This is the first feature I ever wrote, uh, and the reason yeah. why is because I didn't. I didn't really have anything original to say. And once I started writing the script, I, I really I couldn't stop. Um, yeah. And it was because I had. Nope, oh, you just cut right, out. And then no, no one else my age that I knew could, that you know, no one else my age knew about it, and so it was really, um, it was really this great world that was incredibly, you know, that was original and, and different. So it was. Um, it, you know, cancer really kind of helped shape my writing career. Yeah. So, so tell us um, before we before we wrap here. Uh, there are obviously family members that are in the film. I mean, it was that Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character. You see parents. Um, how has your family been through all of this? I mean, in the film, your dad has Alzheimer's. He doesn't really have Alzheimer's in my real life. My father does not. My father does not have Alzheimer's in real life. No. <laughs> no. And actually, the. My father is this very eccentric man, and he kind of has crazy, uh, this crazy Jufro and these eyebrows that kind of extend <laughs> up into like outer space, and <laughs> this mustache that he doesn't trim. And he, I mean, I swear, yeah, he's the only person, he's the only human being I know who can wear a turtle. Oh, we just lost you, Will. Ah. Oh. Uh oh. Sounded like he wore turquoise. Yeah. Did we just lose Will I there? I think we lost Will. Oh. Hello, Will. Well, it sounded like it was very funny that he has a crazy Jufro. With eyebrows that go eyebrows. through the sky. I'm Who can get away with on the edge of my turquoise. senior, something yeah. turquoise. That's okay. Like Navajo Indian-esque? I don't know, perhaps. We can uh, only sil- speculate. Silver jewelry? We can only a speculate. bolo tie? We're going to have to find out turquoise? in Vegas. We are. That'll be our first question. So, tell us about this turquoise. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> get up, your dad wears. I guess we just, I guess we just, Will just dropped out on us. Okay. But we had him for a good, uh, nearly twenty minutes there, and we're going to get him for a whole conference and our whole panel, and there'll be lots more to explore with him, which is going to be great. And whether you're in Vegas or not, you'll have a chance to 
see an entire transcript or see video and I mean, if streaming he, of, of if him he, live. If he calls back, we'll, we'll bring him back. We'll bring on, him but, back. But Kenny's on the line. Uh, Mr. Kenny. Yo, what up? From the road. I think Will dropped because he knew that I was calling in. That was mm-hmm. it. That yeah. was it. I'm gonna so venture a guess. So we're gonna we're gonna sort of mix up the news here tonight. But basically, you are on the Get Busy Living Stupid Cancer Road Trip, sponsored by yeah, Volkswagen. All right, sum up where you've been uh, in about a minute. All right, so we've been to uh, D.C., Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, over to Nashville, down to New Orleans, Austin, Dallas, uh, Roswell, Albuquerque, uh, Flagstaff, Arizona, Grand Canyon, and we're now on our way to Phoenix, Arizona, currently sitting in some rush hour traffic on our way to the happy hour. So we're, we're quite happy to be on our what we're calling the, the victory lap. And Kenny, you were so also in Birmingham, right? Oh yeah, yeah. We uh, we stopped through Birmingham for a moment. Great. Well, everybody, watch out for the uh, Volkswagen Beetle branded on the side. Yeah, and, right. Uh, Stupidcancerroadtrip.org is the Tumblr feed. Great. And it looks like we've got Will back on the line. I think Will's back on. All right, Kenny. Take care of yourself. Drive safe. All right. Awesome. All right. Bye. Bye, Kenny. Will, you back? Can you hear me? Yes. Gotta love technology. It was so. It was actually so odd. I could hear you guys talking. It was, but you couldn't hear me. <laughs> you left us hanging the, the cliff, the turquoise cliffhanger. Oh, there's no turquoise. I'm sorry to disappoint. <laughs> okay, all right. He's he. I don't know where you where you lost me, but but he is he is the only man I know who can wear um, a turtleneck. Uh, turtleneck. A turtleneck, <laughs> a fleece sweater, and a tweed coat at the height of summer. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. And not break but a sweat. He does not. He does not have Alzheimer's, but. The, Despite that, he uh, spent the, the entire night of the premiere, people kept coming up to him and sort of coddling him as though he had <laughs> Alzheimer's. And he took it like, you know, I mean, he really, he really took it like a sport. I mean, he, um, you I poor mean, he, thing. you know, he, yeah. My know, name is he, Peter. Hi. He, he's a writer, though. He, he gets it. You know, he, he knows that uh, it, it, it really has nothing to do with him. It's, it's, it was more about just trying to, me trying to find the best story possible and and the and the the reason why i i chose to give that uh character there were actually a, a few reasons why i gave that character alzheimer's um but um one reason is i wanted it really to inform the uh the main character adam and his relationship with his mother and i wanted to do it in a way where i there you know that and i didn't have to uh i didn't really have to explain and go back deep in and by having someone who's Oh, breaking up on us again. I, I suppose he can continue to hear us. It's like the afterlife. He's such a tease, that Will. Will Rogers. He's such a tease. He yeah. knows we're going to get him in Vegas. and he, he, You know, he, like a true writer, he knows how to give us a good cliffhanger. Yes. We're hanging on every word, and you're just going to have to stay tuned, I guess, for the summit to All get right. the rest of him. Well, let's just uh, let's just make this... Uh, well, he's welcome to call back for the rest of the show, but we'll... We're going to bring out all of our we'll guests. We'll bring out one. all of our guests. If he happens to be here, he's on Tamika, Allie Ward, and Sharon Franz. Hey, guys. Hi. We should give him a quick intro, yes, Matthew? We'll give you guys a quick intro because you deserve it. So let's let's cue, cue up some... Music. Uh, I'm going uh, to do us a little... Well, let's, we'll rickroll them. Not, not, not the Allie G show, but it's the Allie Ward show. All right. <laughs> Allie Ward is a four-year stage for ovarian cancer thriver. When Allie was told she may have only a few months to live in 2009, she said, screw that. 
she decided to stop conventional treatment and focus on quality of life. Two years later, she strives to live fully while living with advanced disease. As chair of the OMG 2012 Steering Committee, Allie is committed to supporting those affected by young adult cancer, and she feels it's important to talk about the sometimes hard and uncomfortable issues such as living with chronic diseases and the dreaded D word. I have not met anyone more full of life than Allie Ward, and the uh, fabulous summit coming up is largely due to her tremendous skills and passion. And Matthew, you want to... Sharon Frost is is our favorite angry nurse. (laughs) Pissed off nurse. Pissed off nurse. She's the president and co-founder of the National Coalition of Oncology Nurse Navigators. Say that 20 times fast. A nonprofit organization that she founded. Uh, She's a nurse with over 20 years experience caring for persons with cancer and AIDS. Uh, She's an advocate for all individuals facing cancer, advocating and empowering individuals through the cancer continuum. All right. Returning champion Tamika is all you. Tamika Felder is, is an award-winning television producer and correspondent. After a diagnosis of advanced cervical cancer in 2001 at the age of 25, she used her experience to help educate other women about ways to prevent it. She's the founder and CEO of Tamika and Friends, a national nonprofit organization dedicated to cervical cancer awareness through a network of survivors. Hey, what happened? My bad. Sorry. Boy. <laughs> hey, don't I need music? I need theme music. You guys don't deserve opening theme music. If there's somebody that, that you know, gets us grooving here, it's Tamika. Come on. Her inspiring story and message have been featured in numerous media outlets. She was honored in November 2006 with a Presidential Leadership Award at the Kennedy Center. That's serious stuff. That's my old job. And by women in government for her efforts in helping to eliminate cervical cancer. Tamika Felmer. Tamika Felder, Allie Ward, and Sharon France. Welcome to the show. Glad to be on the show again. Hi, everybody. Yeah, hi. Hey, guys. A trio of strong, powerful women. That's right. That's how we like our OMG Summit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to try not to be the pissed-off nurse, just be the be the nurse tonight. No, no, no. No, we need your... No, we like you pissed off. We need you pissed off, Sharon. Once you go soft, we're not going to be friends with you anymore. All right, Sharon, give everybody, give some of our first-time listeners some of your background and explain to them why you're pissed off. Oh, (laughs) I guess that's me. Um, Well, background is um, I started out working um, as a nurse in the prison system, taking care of AIDS and HIV patients, and worked my way then to oncology and found that there was many people out there that didn't have anyone that could help them to navigate through the complexities of our healthcare system, whether it was insurance, their disease, their doctors, their caregivers, um, whatever it was. And so um, got together with some other nurses that shared the same thing, and we got together and formed a um, nonprofit organization so that every patient could have someone to help them navigate through all the mess. We love that. And you guys are – tell us if there's a uh... – hospital out there or any kind of cancer treatment center, how they can go about having a nurse navigator at their facility? Well, right now our challenge is is many of the facilities don't have navigators. So one of the things our organization does is if you don't have a navigator, you can contact us by going to our website and go to our patient section, and you can locate a navigator close to you uh, if you don't have one at your facility. But if you want to know if you have one at your facility, you can either contact us and we'll help to find out, or you can call your facility and say, hey, do you have a patient or a nurse navigator? And it's a free service. Tell and everybody you all tell hospitals it. that are accredited by the um, Commission on Cancers through the American College of Surgeons are going to be required to have one, phasing until 2015, starting Good. this year. Excellent. And tell us your website. We're going to have James put it in the chat room here. Yeah, it's dot. NCONN.org. 
Excellent. Matthew. Yeah, I lost the bet one day and got beaten down by Tamika Felder. Uh-oh. <laughs> that woman is one of the few people who I actually... I don't think, what? I don't think I know that story. Oh, no. Uh, she, she can lay down a smack, and, and you have no choice but to listen to everything she says. <laughs> Very few people can put me in my place, and she's one of them. So that that, that has earned her um, uh, my my undying loyalty for all time. Oh, thank you. Uh, I first met Tamika in 2004 or 2005 at the President's Cancer Panel uh, with Doug Ullman. Oh, when he had just gone I've lived to strong when he in the Ullman Fund. And Lance was there because Lance was on the, the panel with George Bush and, uh, who's it, um, LaSalle Fall, I believe, was on there. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dr. LaSalle. love, love, Brilliant, love. brilliant guy. Yeah. Um, and uh, then I met her again maybe 2006 at the Livestrong Summit, the very yep. first Livestrong Summit, and I forgot who she was. And, what? I was and she beat the crap out of me verbally for well, forgetting who she was. It. I know. But that's where I said to myself, if I ever forget this woman again, I have to leave the country. And, of course, he blamed it on chemo brain, okay? No, and the cancer card doesn't work for the cancer survivors. So Exactly. Right. All right, Tamika. So cervical cancer, age 25. Give us a quick recap for those for the first-time listeners out there. You know, cervical cancer at age 25, I can talk about it now without bursting into tears. I mean, I still have my moments, but it was the most devastating thing that ever happened to me. I had a radical hysterectomy followed by chemotherapy and radiation, and it literally took me up until now almost 10 years you know, to rebuild my life. People, you know, who've heard me talk before and they think, oh, my God, you're so strong, you're so brave. And for me, my outlet was sharing my story because I didn't start off that way. You know, I wanted to keep my story to myself. I wanted to just be a 20-something-year-old again. I wanted to go back to my life. But for me, I couldn't. I went back to work. I tried doing the same things, and I just could not do it because cancer had taken over so much of my life. And I somehow in this crazy world became an advocate. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't go through this thinking, if I beat this cancer, I'm going to do something to make a difference. It was the exact, exact opposite for me. I wanted to just go back to my life, yeah. but I, I, I couldn't. So, so tease that out for us, Tamika. What do you mean you couldn't? I mean, explain, explain how exactly you couldn't, couldn't go back to your life. I, I couldn't because cancer was always on my mind. Yeah. Even Did when, you think, you, like, it was going to come back? Were you afraid of recurrence? or how? I was, I was afraid it was going to come back. You know, your friends and loved ones, they mean well, but everybody wants to know, are you okay? Yeah. How do you feel? So you're still treated like a patient, even though you're back out, you're in life trying to cope with what they call now your new normal. You know, everybody's familiar with this term. Well, back in 2001, it wasn't a common term as it is now. So I was trying to navigate my way back to life. And so I'm passionate about three things in the cancer world. I'm passionate about cervical cancer because when I was diagnosed, it was a cancer that no one was talking about because of its link to the human papillomavirus. So I don't want women to be ashamed of that. I'm also passionate about young adults because I'm so thrilled that there's so many resources for young adults now, but when I was diagnosed, they're just it just wasn't there. And I'm passionate that people find their voice, whether it's the quiet voice that they have to themselves or the voice that they want to, you know, get to the mountaintop and shout that I'm cancer-free. And in doing that, they take back control of their life, and um, they just become the best person 
after their cancer diagnosis that they can because I know some survivors who are scared to death to live. And I'm not talking about just breathing, you know. I'm not just talking about making it through the 24 hours in a day. I'm talking about living. You almost died. Mm -hmm. You know, you're left with secondary issues. Your life should be amazing, as amazing <laughs> as you want. Well, you know, I've done some stuff after cancer that I can't believe that I've done. You like know? what? Um, I walked as far as I could in this big body up the Great Wall of China. That is true. You know, great. I learned how to swim. It was always a fear I have. Um, but I learned how to swim after cancer. And it literally took me 10 years of surviving cancer to learn how to swim. I tried to do it when I was first you know, diagnosed, and I couldn't, and I kept trying, and, and then I gave up, and now I know how to swim. That's so cool. Now, Tamika, did you just go in for a pap smear, or did you have symptoms that then had No, you... I just went in for a pap smear, so I didn't have any symptoms. Wow. And that was it? You just went for your regular checkup, and you had Yeah, and I'm there. one of those people, I was too busy at life, I was following these crazy elections, working as a television producer, and I missed my pap smear. So I have what I call my 11th commandment, no matter how underinsured, uninsured, or broke you are, or scared of being spread eagle, go get your pap test. <laughs> scared of being spread eagle. <laughs> so it, speaking of grabbing the bull by the horns and, and making the most of, of the crap that you're dealt, Allie, hi, how are you? <laughs> I am good, how are you? <laughs> it's great. You've been on the show now, well, you were like... like a few times, months, yeah. Like two, three months ago you are on the show. I was. This is my third time on the show. See, I made it up to you. Uh-oh. Yes, you did. We're going to make you a... Uh, <laughs> You're always making things up to people. A, yes. Well, that's my job. I, yeah. I, I'm i a human forgiveness factor. <laughs> Dear Jessica. What comes before that? Oi. <laughs> Yeah. So, Allie, you and I first met actually at a, an Ullman Fund event in 2008 or 2009? 2008. Right. To me, were you there at the Cheryl actually. Crow event? Yes, I hosted the Cheryl Crow event. Well, then, <laughs> Matthew. Clearly, she was Seriously? there. Seriously? I am a schmuck. <laughs> no. All right. Why don't you blame my yeah. brain again? Yeah, that's all right. No, because yeah, yes, you were there. I, I remember. Yes, I met you there. You were you were with a, a guy at that time, right? I was. I'm no longer with that guy. Okay, but all right. <laughs> see, I do. Every now and then, the synapses fire the right way. The chemistry happens. I don't remember something. But anyway, Allie, met you there, and you had literally just been diagnosed with a variant. Well, it was a year and a half later. Oh no, 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 no. no. It was a year later. Well, less than a year later. Right. See, I have chemo brain too. <laughs> see, it's not my fault. <laughs> No. I'm not infallible. It was, it was March. I was diagnosed the previous June. So do the math. Okay. Uh, so Don't worry, was, Allie. I, I suck at that stuff, too. Okay. <laughs> but I, it was my first young adult or even cancer event. I had pretty much stayed in a hole and not paid any attention to the resources out there and didn't even know that there were resources out there. And I found out about the Almond Fund only because I love Cheryl Crow and the concert was on my birthday, and they had um, they advertised for survivors to enter a contest to try to get tickets. And I thought, well, what better way to spend my last birthday is at Cheryl Crow? Well, wow. needless to know, I didn't know it was my last birthday, but I got to go, and I met the lovely Tamika and the crazy Matt. 
And so, I love that I'm the crazy one, and she's the lovely one. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, I had that the other way, but. Yeah. You guys got to think Sharon's so way it's better. A, it's a neurotic, Matthew. Right. Yeah, neurotic is probably better. Yeah. So, so Allie, you so back us up also to your diagnosis. Having symptoms, what? How did that come about? I was having pain and bloating, um, a lot of like the symptoms that women have at their monthly cycle. Right. Um, but we thought at first we thought it was just a cyst, and we did we did um, an ultrasound and a CT scan, and they showed something, but they thought it was just a cyst. And then they were waiting to get me in to see the doctor because it was right before um, uh, Fourth of July. So I, I guess technically I was diagnosed in July in June, but it really wasn't until we went in and I had surgery the day after Fourth uh, of July on a Friday night at eight o'clock because they were afraid the cyst was about to burst. And they get in there, they find out that there is a cyst that looked like it was about to burst. But as they looked at the ovary, it had a huge tumor in it. So it had it. So the tumor was separate from the cyst. Is that right? It was. So luckily, I found out because of the cyst, and you know, they call ovarian cancer the silent killer because the symptoms. There are symptoms, but they're masked. I mean, there are, there are a lot of the symptoms that women have on a regular basis. And there, re- there is no test, unfortunately. You can't go in and get a pap smear because I had a pap smear just two months before my diagnosis, and there is no test for it, unfortunately. Right, right. So in a way, thank God that you had that cyst. So you were having pain really from the cyst that was about to burst. Yes. So they and went- probably some from the cancer too, but it's hard to tell what which was what. Right. Right. Uh, so they opened me up, and they took out the cyst and they closed me up and they said, you know, basically, oh shit, and you have to go to a specialist because the doctor on a Friday night on a holiday weekend was not a specialist in order to pro- deal with my type of cancer. And right. the the fact that it was all over my abdomen. They knew at that point that it was all over your abdomen. When they, they could went- see the tumors, um, so they took biopsies. I see. And so then you quickly, uh, what was it, the next week or something, were you able to get into a specialist? I was. The next week I got into a specialist, and um, I did additional testing, and we found out that's when they staged it. We found out where it was in my, you know, all over my abdomen, also in my liver and on my kidney. Uh, And then, you know, the roller coaster just started from there. And you were, we've talked about this before on the show, but you were literally told at that point that, you didn't have much time, right? I was told they didn't want to tell me then. So in July, they didn't really tell me anything, um, just that we really had to work hard and be aggressive. And um, they decided that I was not healthy enough for a hysterectomy, but they were going to go ahead and start uh, chemotherapy. And then once we discovered the, the tumors elsewhere, then radiation, with the goal of getting me healthy, which I think the doctors pretty much thought there's no use doing surgery on this girl because she's going to die. Um, And then the following January, we found out that it moved to my lungs, and they basically said, that's it. You know, start preparing things because there's not much we can do for you. And Um, how did you possibly, how did you you go about processing this? I mean, you were what age at this point? I was 35 at that point. So you were 35, single? um, Single, living living alone. alone, professional, and thought I had my act together and Boom, I did not have my act together. Uh Um, And 
I can totally you know, relate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought life was going the way it was supposed to go, um, and then all of a sudden, and then in the beginning, you just do what you're told to do. Yeah. You're told you have cancer. You're told you need to go to chemotherapy. You need to have this procedure. You need to have this test. You need to have the port go, you know, put in. And you don't question it. You just do it. And right. then they say, oh, you did all this, and it's still spreading. And you get angry. I mean, I got pissed off at the world, at the doctors. I talked back. I was not one of those compliant patients that just oh went in the office and listened to what they said. I questioned, like, well, how do you know this? How can you be sure? You know, you're a fucking asshole. That, those are the things that I would tell my doctor. You know. um, oh, excuse, <laughs> excuse my language. I shouldn't be swearing on radio. That's fine. We have no FCC, we have, we have no FCC <laughs> regulation on this show. But, you know, Allie, um, that's one of the things I think that um, many times that we do as navigators is if we – this you're the kind of patient that you would have benefited for someone just to have put, like, a halt and said, let's get, you know, let's get a plan together. Because when you're that angry and you're just going along, it's so hard to actually even you, – you can't even – you can't fathom what the treatment is, and you can't understand why you have to have the treatment. And and it doesn't really benefit you because, like you said, you're just going along. You're not really understanding what's even happening to you. Exactly. You so much is thrown at you roadmap for you. So, Sharon, mm-hmm. if, so if you were to encounter somebody like Allie, yeah. what are the first – so are you – also sort of involved in emotionally trying to settle them down and get them clear and focused? I mean, what would, what would be the steps that you would take with somebody like Allie at that stage? Well, the first thing is, is you know, we would probably call on someone like Julie, the psychotherapist, that one of the people that are going to be speaking at the, the conference. Julie Larson. Yes. Julie Larson. You know, because, you know, many times, you know, it's so emotional and it's, you know, it's not just the cancer. It's, it's, you know, you can't get away from the emotional part of it. But, you know, just letting them actually vent, you know, the things that, you know, I hate, you know, I hate this cancer, I, you know, why me, all of this. Because sometimes people can't move forward if they don't have that opportunity. So a lot of times, you know, the navigator will be just the punching bag and just let it all loose. And what is it that you're, you know, what is it you're angry about, what the fears are, and then sit down with them and, and go over their treatment plan with them and say, do you, un-, you know, because many times you get this treatment plan, like um, Allie's saying, you're just going and doing what people say, but you don't really know why, yeah. and you're and you're just doing it, but, but you know, and then they tell you, well, you know, you're not any better, and you're like, well, why the hell did I do that? If you, you know, you told me to do this, I thought that was going to improve. So sometimes we just kind of, you know, make sure that someone understands because many times things have to happen fast, but not quite as fast maybe as some of our providers are pushing for. Sometimes there is a little bit of time to actually put a real um, plan together that the patient can adopt and actually feel comfortable with. And understand what's going to happen. Absolutely. And, well, you know, sometimes they don't ever understand. But sometimes just being able just to tell them and listen to them, I mean, that is a big job of what we do. And maybe it's the caregivers around the person. How do you support a person that's really angry and pissed off, a young person particularly, so who, Tamika, you know, yeah. strips everything they want to do? Absolutely. So, Tamika, what was then put in place for you? I mean, here you are totally blindsided with no symptoms. You're just going for your pap smear. You're assuming everything's going to be okay. You're 25 years old. And then, boom, how did you, you know, your entire world turns upside down. 
how did you sort of take the next steps, and were there people around you? Did you seek help? Who kind of put the help you put the game plan in place? You know, really for me, things happened so fast. You know, I went in after not having insurance, then having insurance, and I went in thinking, I'm just getting a physical. They're going to tell me, lose weight, go home, and then I came out with a cancer diagnosis. So things happened very quickly for me. Um, there were uh, oncology nurses there. Um, there were people who were sympathetic to me. But did I get that emotional help that I needed? No. Um, I think part of the blame also was on me. Now that I'm in this world, you, you know, I understand that you have to be your best advocate. And But when that comes, when that diagnosis comes down, you're just not mentally able to have it. And for me, I was single, you know, like Ali, I was, you know, thinking I was had my life together. I had it made. Um, and what happened for me, one day I was so upset while I was getting treatment that they kind of removed me. You know, I wasn't acting in relation, but I was just crying profusely, like just crying nonstop. So they put me in the library just to get myself together. There was this brochure for the Almond Cancer Fund for Young Adults. And I called them, and for me, it was the first time that I had ever connected with people my age who understood it, because the only other person that had my same diagnosis was a great-grandmother. And, you know, even though she was a nice lady, I couldn't connect to her. Most of the support groups were for breast cancer survivors. Um, and it was just really difficult for me to connect as a career woman and as a 25-year-old who was losing my fertility. Right. So at that point, what really helped you was just to know that there are other young people like you out there going through something similar. Yeah, and that president, president's cancer panel in 2003 in September um, for me was really a life-changing experience because it was the first time I was really around a room full of people who were, you know, had experienced the same thing. It was almost like having people hold my hand and tell me this is what you're going to be go through next and this is what you need. And I felt so empowered after that. And, you know, people who know me before cancer, they'll tell you, oh, you're a strong person. You know, if you knew Tamika, you know she's really strong. She can get through anything. But cancer really just wore me down. It broke me down, and it made me, you know, second-guess everything in my life. It, it It made me give up. It made me think, you'll never be able to do anything else. Like, if you survive this, you'll never be the same. You'll be, you know, a shell of who you used to be. And do you think it's, it's through your, true. Yeah, do you think it's through your advocacy work? I mean, you talked about learning to swim and these things that you kind of helped, it seemed, to really build your confidence. But was there one turning point, or was it a combination of just pushing yourself I would say meeting things. me was the start. <laughs> nearly did her in <laughs> altogether. Well, you know, I'll let, I'll let him think that. But for me, yeah. honestly, <laughs> it was in September of 2003 when I met other young adults. That's what yeah. it was for me. Right. Just that was know, the, yeah. the, the that one was thing. And, I mean, you know, things led up to it, you know, but that's when I really, really felt, okay, I'm going to pick myself up. I'm going to dust myself off. And I, I, I'm going to go and I'm going to try to live after cancer because I thought I was living before cancer, but no, I am having the best life ever. And I've had some devastating blows after cancer. Like I lost my mom three years ago, um, so both of my parents are deceased. So it's wow. been very difficult for me. I've had some really low times, but because of 
what I've been through, you know I know it. how to fight through it. So that doesn't mean that I don't, I don't grieve for anything because I give myself time, you know, to have a pity party. Because yeah. I think, you know, when you go through serious shit, you have mm-hmm. to give yourself a pity party. You have to have time to mourn over it. And, again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I'm just a person who lived through it. But I think at some point you do have to dust yourself off and you have to make a decision. And my decision was to live and not to just live, but to live my best life ever. Well, let's let's take that as an amazing segue right back to Allie because Allie, uh, given basically, you know, get your affairs in order, what happened to you? Well, I was actually told twice to get my affairs in order. The first time I went on a clinical trial and I got some good news. This was back in um, January of 08, and then, unfortunately, things got worse again. And then in September of 08, I was told, you know, we can try surgery and we can um, go back on treatment, but we're really just buying time at this point. And the treatment made me very ill. And in January of 2009, they told me, you know, we figure you have three to six months to live. And I was so sick that I believed that the chemo and was killing me. Uh, I, ha- I had no quality of life whatsoever. I barely could function. I mean, I was going to work, but I could hardly get out of bed some days and would come home from work and just go straight to bed. And I was like, okay, I can't do this. So I decided to stop treatment, and I was going to focus on the positives and the quality of life and not necessarily the quantity, and I started preparing myself. And it took some time, and it took time for my family, and there was a lot of people that didn't like my decision to stop treatment. It was a very unpopular decision and a difficult one. And I I just said, okay, I can do this. And so I sat down with everybody and said, we need to accept the fact that I'm dying we need to think about what I really want to do and what the what kind of life I want to have. Um, and things were okay like that for a while. Um, I did some really wonderful things, and I spent quality time with people. And then at some point, I just was sick and sat in my Lazy Boy and didn't do anything. And for about a year and a half, I just kind of coasted. And every day I thought, okay, I'm going to die any day now. You know, my symptoms are going to get worse. I was constantly going to the doctors. I was on more medication than I can even count or could pay for at the time. And I really expected to die at any moment. Um, And surprise, I'm still alive. Uh, I just turned 40 two weeks ago, and I wanted to call up my doctor and just, like, say, you know, (laughs) you lost. But I I didn't. Uh Uh, But I I wanted to. Um, but happy last birthday. year, that's great. Yeah, happy birthday! Thank you, thank you very much. But Alan, um, similar to how Tamika had her sort of her, we'll call it a gestalt moment by meeting young adults. You had already previously been surrounded by young adults, but you went to a first descent retreat. Uh, yes. First descent. Tell us about first descent and tell us about this, this transformative experience. Well, it, that week literally changed my life. So First Ascents is a young adult adventure program uh, for survivors. And it's a week-long camp, and they have um, kayak, whitewater kayaking and rock climbing as well as surfing. And it is free for any survivor to go, um, and it's wonderful. It's org. 
And I went, and I was adamant to my friends that I was not going to go. And I knew about First Ascents for several years, and I thought, oh, that'd be cool, because I was an outdoor person before I got cancer, but was pretty sure that that was something that cancer robbed me of, that there was no way that I was going to be able to go camping or or be in a kayak again or anything like that. But I was terrified of whitewater, and I was also terrified of being a burden. I really thought that because I didn't have great quality of life and needed a lot of physical assistance, that I would be a burden on the camp, the staff at a camp. Um, so a friend of mine who wasn't taking no for an answer, who worked at First Ascents, called up the founder, Brad Ludden, and said, you need to call this girl. So one day last spring, Brad called me, and I was like, oh, my God, why is he calling me? And then uh-huh. I realized that I was going to take <laughs> – I was like, um, I'm going to take this chance. So I went to Montana in July, and it changed my life. I realized that my cancer not only was you know, affecting me physically, it was also affecting me mentally. And – there wasn't. A, I didn't know how long I was going to live, and I still don't know how long I'm going to live. I might live a month. I may live 20 months. I might live. I doubt I'm going to live 20 years, but that would be a nice pie in the sky goal. But I, I was out I there in that camp. Maybe I was out there in that camp, and I realized that I could do anything that I put my mind to, and I was not a burden on anyone. That if people perceived me as a burden, that was their problem. And I had to stop apologizing for my shortcomings and my physical disabilities. And I left that camp feeling energized and wanting to start living again and wanting to do something with my life. And up until that point, I wouldn't commit to anything thirty days more than 30 days out because I thought there was no way that I can commit to something more than 30 days because I don't know how I'm going to feel, I don't know if I'm going to be alive, and I wouldn't do it. Um, and in a weak moment, Matt Zachary called me up and said, we have this project for the next OMG Summit. Would you like to be the chairperson? And I, I said yes. I, I batted my eyes. <laughs> Over the phone. Yes. And um, I just want to say life has not been rosy since my experience at First Ascent and my decision to start living again. I've had three surgeries, complications with each one of them. I just had a recurrence. My father tragically and suddenly died in November, which was a moment that changed my life. It was four days after I was on the the radio show last time. And in all of that, I realized that you've got to keep living. And you can't wait for the other shoe to drop or you are just going to be, like Tamika said, life will stop. And you know, you'll be scared of everything. Um, and more than physically, we're scared of your physical being, but scared of a mentally what's going to happen next. Um, and I would say that through First Ascent and through my work with the OMG Summit, I have started living again, and I'm loving life. So so let's take oh. the next uh, five or five minutes or so that we have left to talk about the conference I want to bring it back to Sharon for a minute as the provider in the, in the conversation here tonight. Sharon is a nurse. Yes. Uh, having uh witnessed, you know, obviously what the young adult movement has has become in the last 5 years since it became a policy issue and having now been participating in the summit now for the second year in a row. Uh 
what is your take as a provider, as just an, an, an RN, not not a pissed off RN per se, but just an RN in general, about how you perceive your industry recognizing this social movement? Does it help you do your job better? Is it empowering more people to want to help? Uh, what's your perspective on this? Well, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'll start with, well, one, it does. It definitely does. I think the one thing that we've, at our organization, and particularly the, the other nurses that I come in contact with and work with and um, keep connected to, have found that quality of life has is, is become more important and looking, focusing on survivorship, where whatever that means to the patient. But I have to tell you that, um, unfortunately, still, even with as much press and things that are happening out there and the work that you're doing, many times a young adult or young cancer patient who's becoming an adult, they don't get the same, they just don't get they just don't get the attention that they really need. And um, I think today you even posted on Facebook about, you know, fertility issues. I mean, still, I mean, patients are not having conversations with their providers. Nurses are not, you know, I don't know that we're not doing our jobs, but I think that there's a lot of education and awareness that still needs to be done. I think there has been improvement, and I think some areas of the country are doing better than others in some facilities. But I think we've got a long way to go, and I think if it wasn't for what you're doing and these types of events in this radio show and what you do on social media, we would be much farther behind than we are. Sharon, what do you see when you look at doctors who treat young adult uh, cancer patients? What's the biggest frustration that you see within the medical, somebody inside the medical community specifically? Well, I think the one thing is they're very aggressive, and it's a it's a we got to do something as a young person pretty quickly, but then they don't look at the person as their life, um, and that's frustrating. But then what happens is when the patient, the young person starts doing really well, then they don't they then they kind of just drop them. They don't think about well, this is you know it's like yeah we got you through it, but the support's just kind of done. you know we've got these patients that we're going to be seeing every week, you know because young patients many times you know are very resilient their their treatment they they may make almost kill them, but once it once they get the treatment and it's working, you know they do really well and um then the providers just kind of let them just drop off the face of their um you know their schedule and their you know what's next for them. Yeah, there's the door and see the social worker on their on way it. out. Right. You got a lot of heads nodding here in the studio from Alex uh, I mean, and James and in, in unison here. <laughs> you know, they start out, you know, it's like, yes, you know, it's we're going to push ahead. Everything's going great. And then all of a sudden it's just where you know nothing. And I, you know, talking to young people and um knowing young people, I mean, they are really lost. It's just um and they they don't know where to go, and they I don't ima- feel like anybody listens to them. I imagine families too. I mean, I think some there must be some parents who can really rally or siblings, yeah. and then there must be some that are just stunned and terrified and might stand there kind of hopelessly as well. Well, I, you know, you think about well, you guys know this better than anyone. Young people, your your survivorship is much longer. You know, you've got much more to survive for yeah. than someone who's 60. You know, they still have things, but, but you know, they've got the things that they've never, you know, like Tamika's talking about, you know, learning how to swim or, you know, learning what it's like to be in a relationship or have a job and have a career, you know. 
you know, they don't have anyone that really takes an interest in that. And, um, I mean, there are, you know, I think we're doing a much better job. But it, it's really, it's, it's, it's sad. I think, and, um, it's, and not every social worker can speak to those issues, especially if the population they deal with most are the pediatric yeah. population. And, well, and so and much Sam, of it's outpatient. You know, you're not getting a social worker outpatient. You're getting a social worker inpatient. You know, and then they drop you. You know, once you're out, the case manager's like, "I've got the people in front of me. You're, you know, we're done with you." Mm-hmm. Um, and it's um, it's a challenge for our healthcare system, but we're just. Up? Oh, did we lose Sharon? Nope, I'm here. Okay. Oh. We're right. just not doing it enough. Yeah. I just right. want to add on to what Sharon was saying. Not only um, psychologically are we not there. Young adults are surviving longer. We have a lot longer survivorship. We have a lot longer um, time to have long-term effects. Yeah, And they don't really tell us this when we go in and they say, oh, you need to have a hysterectomy or you need to do this surgery right now, you need to do this treatment. And they don't talk about the fact that in 10 years or even in my case, four years later, how much problems I'm having that are unrelated to the cancer and just related to the treatment. Right. Um, and, the, and then the oncologist washes your hands once you're in remission and aren't really there to say, to help you through these side effects. Right, and then you get kicked to a primary care doctor that's like, I haven't been taking care of you. I don't even know where to start. Right. I, yeah. I don't know how to coordinate your care. You yeah. have too many specialists involved. And, and I wanted to jump in and say, and, you know, also piggybacking off of Sharon, what if you have someone who isn't strong enough, they don't have the type of support that's strong enough, then they're in silence and they're alone and they're scared, but they don't know how to use their voice to get the help that they need. So that's why we all have to work together as a team. And, you know, thank you for everything that you and, you know, everyone that you work with do because this is what we need. Like you said, we've come a long way, but there's still a ways to go. Yeah. Well, we you know, have the to. The thing is, the young patients that are on the floor with the mature patients, the mature patients, they, I mean, they're jealous. I mean, they don't, they don't want to, I mean, it's really, it's a, it's almost a class division you know, because they don't have, I mean, at the hospitals I've worked at and that I visit, they don't have an area for young people. They have a pediatrics and they have adults. And the adults are not young adults, typically. And, it's, um, and it isolates them even more. Well, on that note, we actually have to wrap. We're out of time. But clearly we could have this show every single yeah, Monday. We could. Um, but I think this is a really great teaser. Sharon is on a panel. Sharon, what's your panel? <laughs> I should know this. I wrote this. Newly diagnosed. Newly diagnosed. Tamika Allie is, knows all the panels. Right. Yeah. Um, kick, it to, kick it to Allie. Tamika is on returning champion for the uh, body image, sex relationships. Yep. Um, this Light is your third, third or fourth year doing this. I forget. This is my third year. I've only I've missed one, two, right. one. You, were you with the bare naked ladies in '09? No. Okay, so 2010, 2011, 2012. Yep, that was my first one. And Allie, you're on a few panels as well. I am on uh, Spirituality, Are You There, God, It's Me, Cancer, and Onward, Cancer is Chronic. There you go. Those are my two panels. I'll be helping out with a couple other ones as well. Right. So, All right, so that's it, folks. This is our last show before the fifth annual OMG Cancer Summer for Young Adults. This weekend we are sold at 550 registrations. It's going to be a blast. We can't wait to see you three uh, in Vegas this Friday. Thanks for committing yourselves to the show tonight. 
and uh, for helping us be who we are and do what we do. You guys are awesome. Three fierce women. Yes. Thanks so much. Sharon France, yes. Allie Ward, and Tamika Felder. All right. See you in Vegas. All right. Bye-bye. See you in Vegas. Hey. Right. All right. That wraps our show. I'm excited. I'm so excited. When do you fly in? You fly Friday? I fly Friday. I fly Thursday, well, I will yeah. be there uh, early afternoon on Friday. And uh, we've got Will coming Saturday morning. Yep. These three will be there, and we're giving away a new car. We are giving away a car Saturday years. afternoon. Two-year free, two-year lease on the Volkswagen Passat Turbo Diesel. By the way, that that car, not to promote Volkswagen too exuberantly, but the plant. Well, why not? The plant that they make the car in is a carbon-neutral plant. Nice. Like it, it is no, a zero-emission plant. Like they built it without having a single footprint for the environment. Really? Yeah. Where's the plant? Chattanooga. Chattanooga, Tennessee. Chattanooga, exactly. Uh, just a quick button before we leave. Obviously, um, happy hour tonight in Phoenix, happy hour tomorrow night in San Diego, and then onward the Super Cancer Road Trip. Vote for our Get Busy Living Award winners at getbusylivingaward.org. Just visit the site. That's the new car. That's the new car. You will help determine who wins the brand-new Passat. Uh, we are off next week, but I will let Lisa cap out here with the closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, everybody, that is tonight's show. That's our 218th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. We'd like to thank our guest, James Manning, visiting guest, returning champion Alex Kip, Amanda Freeman, and calling in from the road, Kenny Kane, and our guests, Will Reiser, Allie Ward, Tamika Felder, and Sharon Franz. Oh, my part of the script here is... We're on hiatus, but we're, we're on doing big C. Next show's a big C. I, I know. Hey, everybody, we are on hiatus on Monday the 2nd, but the following Monday the 9th, we will be doing a special episode devoted to the Showtime series, The Big C. So get ready for that one. We're going to uh, be in Vegas this weekend. We'll be dark next Monday night, but we're going to come back strong with a special episode on Showtime's The Big C. So be sure to join us Monday April 9th, 8 p.m. Well done. All right, folks, if you missed any of our past shows, all 217 of them, download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.com or check out the archives anytime at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Lisa Bernhard, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, have a great week. We'll see you back here in two weeks. OMG Vegas, baby! Good night, everybody!